you know that our next regular monthly shows will take place on Tuesday, August 8th at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego and Wednesday, the 16th of August at Bumpport Theater in Denver. The theme will be Crossing Over. Next storyteller. All right, next storyteller. Next storyteller. Our next storyteller. Welcome to the Narrators Podcast. This podcast collects stories that were told at the Narrators, a monthly storytelling event that features people telling true stories based on a theme. Today's story comes to you from San Diego writer Lisa Heminger. Beginning with the theme of bars, Lisa follows a thread past a pool shark, through a relationship, and into a mausoleum. The story was recorded live at Tiger Tiger Tavern. Enjoy. Thanks. Thanks, Robert and Mary. This is always so fun. I love it. Um, Okay. I'm going to change it up here a little bit. Are there any kids in here? Oh, no, it's a bar. Oh, okay. Kid in your mind, that's okay. I can still swear, right? Anyway, okay, so my story is going to be about a hookup from a bar. Ooh, yeah. So in my long experience with bars, my many decades of experience, I've had several different hookups Um, Some of them have been actually permanent. Uh, For example, my wife I met in a bar. She's here today. Woo! Uh, But I also had some, you know, one-nighters. And um, this story that I'm going to tell you is about a relationship that was semi-solid. It was like a hookup that lasted a couple of months and ended on a very strange twist, which you will hear. Um... I had moved back home in my late 20s, very ashamed of that. My mother hated me for it. I had had a disastrous breakup, and I had to move back to my hometown. My high school friends didn't like me anymore because we were all athletes, and I had gotten fat uh, in the seven years that I was gone. Anyway, so I went to the gay bar to find some new friends. And one night, I put a quarter up on the pool table, And this woman came up, and then she summarily hustled me for about $100 in bets at the pool table because she was a pool shark, and I was charmed to death. Um, She graciously, after that, uh, treated me to a drink, and I treated her, and you know how those things kind of go, back and forth, and then we made out a little bit, and then, you know, anyway, I want to tell you about her. Her name is Donna, and I was very intrigued with Donna from the start. She was like um, like an archetypal Midwestern factory girl. In my mind, this is what I think of. She was very tall and lean and had sinewy arms and giant deltoids. And she walked like a man. She had a very hoarse voice, which I guess was from smoking what? I, I'm not sure. Uh, but 
she uh, really grabbed my attention. And so we had this meeting, she hustled me out of money, and then we began our tryst. I should also say this is a time of my life because I moved back in with my mother that I like to refer to as drinking in the bar, then fucking in the car. Uh, <clears throat> because I didn't have anywhere to go. And usually the people that I was doing it with had sketchy home situations too. Donna had an ex-girlfriend that was stalking her, so we had to do our lovemaking in the car. Anyway, when I met her, she was working, another plus for her in the Lisa book, she was working at a lawn mower repair shop, uh, repairing Toro engines, something that I could never do in my wildest dream. Oh, I was so titillated. And she was kind of a criminal, but not yet. We're going to get to that part. Uh, but she had many criminal relatives, and she would uh, you know, just give me these wonderful stories of all this criminal activity. You see, she came from the bad side of my hometown, which in my hometown is the east side. I know it's the south side in a lot of towns, but in my town, the east side is very scary. And um, so what I mean by scary or bad is that there were... You know, there was a lot of crime going on, a lot of drug use, drug dealing, abandoned houses, gang activity, vandalism, what have you, all of which was very new to me, who had grown up in a very sheltered suburb of my hometown. Again, titillation for Lisa, very high. Um, so she worked there, but then she lost her job. I think she, uh, you know, while we were... Uh, drinking in the bar and fucking in the car. Sometime during that time, and uh, a month went by or something, she lost her job, and so she started doing these other activities for her funds. And um, something like, you know, I, I love them, I love hearing the stories, until she started requesting things from me. Yeah, uh, they would be like, okay, so she would call me up, at like three o'clock in the morning. And remember back then there weren't cell phones, so she would be calling my mother's number, uh, waking her up, and she would go, this girl, trouble, I'm telling you, she's trouble. Uh, really, what my mother's problem was that she didn't like that I moved back home and was courting a girl under her roof, but whatever. Um, so she would call me up and she would go stuff like, oh my God, I was taking this meth supply to a drug dealer in Pennsylvania and um, my wheel fell off of my 1972 Camaro, and now I'm stuck on a dirt road in central Pennsylvania. Will you come pick me up? <laughs> sure. And I, I would do it. Uh, another time, she was like, hey, my brother, he owes a bunch of money to his bookie, and now a mob guy, and actually, my town is filled with mob people, so I believe this part. Uh, a mob guy has a hit out on him, and he's going to kill him. Can you come here and me and loan me $1,000? Yeah, right, okay. So I, I had a job at that time, so I started to kind of distance myself, you know. Um, one time we were talking on the phone, and she said to me, we were having a little tiff, a lover's tiff, a semi-solid lover's tiff, and she said, hold on for a minute. I go, okay. So I held, you're not going to believe this story, but it is absolutely true. I held on for a minute. <laughs> I hear shuffling, 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 pop! Nothing. Donna. 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 Nothing. And then someone picked up the phone. I later found out it was her roommate. Picked up the phone and said, who is this? Uh, I said nothing. 
Who is this? What were you talking about? Click. This is Lisa. Click. Uh, fear was starting to be part of what I was feeling about my Donna. Um, but it was mysterious. You know, I don't know. So anyway, the next day I called her back up. Hey. I want to go, hey, what was going on last night? I called and that same voice answered. Who is this? Hi, I'm Donna's friend. Calling a check on her. Oh, yeah, you. Donna shot herself in the head last night when she was talking to you on the phone. What? Uh, I didn't say that. I said that in my mind. I clicked because I didn't want to have anything to do with that. I did go down to the bar like the next day, and the bar told her, bartender told me it was true. He knew her for many years. And he goes, you know, I feel like Donna didn't want to die. She just wanted attention, you know. So she shot herself like at the front of her chin. Uh, and, you know, she had picked up a job. She, she had picked up a job as a security guard, security guard at a mall parking lot. Can anybody say mall cop minus 27? Because uh, it was that many years before. Uh, and so it made sense to me that she had a gun that she would do this with. But, oh, my God, was I responsible? Was it something I did? Something I said I already had a suicide in my life that I had been carrying around like this 10,000-pound backpack, and now this happened to me? So I was really roiling with a lot of different emotions. I did see the obituary in the paper, so it was true. I wanted to go say goodbye, so I asked my sister if she would go with me to the scary east side because I was afraid to go there by myself. We went there, we walked into the funeral home. It was sparsely attended, which made me very sad. We walked up to the casket, it was open. There was Donna's oblong head, it's true kind of oblong now but what was kind of cool was her family buried her with a Metallica t-shirt on and jeans with her pool cue yeah and my sister said as we were walking away oh my god did you see her hands though you know they're folded over her chest um why didn't the you know the funeral director think to put that hand underneath because it said l-o-v-e you know like a homemade tattoo my sister thought that was a little crass, and I go, oh, well, it's because the other hand says H-A-T-E. So I kind of like the fact that they did that. Uh, when I was walking out, I saw her brother, the one that wasn't killed by a bookie or a mob guy, and I had met him somewhere along the line. I said, hey, Dominic, I'm really sorry for your loss. And he said something that has stayed with me. <laughs> I can still hear it this second. He said, yeah. But you know what? Now we'll always know where she is. She was a wild one. She was a ruffian. Anyway, so uh, I left. And then a couple weeks later, I went to the place where she was buried. <laughs> Sorry. I knew the cemetery well because my father was buried there. And my mother's grave was there. I mean, to be filled, but it was there. Um, it was Greenhaven Memorial Cemetery in a very rural part of my hometown. And it was open all the time. I knew this, I knew the cemetery very well because my dad was buried there and I used to take girls in high school out there. This was just fucking in the car, not drinking in the bar. It was, 
<laughs> drinking Gatorade or something and then fucking in the car. Uh, because I knew we could go there and be away from everybody's eyes. Anyway, uh, so I knew it. So I went there and it was like dusk. Why I went at dusk, who knows? So it was a very open place. There's no gate, no fence. It's open 24 seven. And I went into the information building and I talked to the woman there and I said, I'm looking for someone's grave. Her name is Don, and before I even got out, Don, the woman said, Donna Caruso? Oh, she's in the mausoleum on the basement floor, five shelves over, three down. What the fuck? Am I in a horror movie or what? I mean, that was so bizarre to me. I was freaking out. How did this woman know what I was going to say? I mean, I guess later I figured out not that many people were buried there, so I guess she just figured it out. Whatever. I was freaking. I get in my car, and I drive to the mausoleum, about a half mile down a dirt road, and I'm looking around, and I realize that the cemetery's a mess. I mean, some places the grass is above your shin almost. It hasn't been cut in a long time. Tombstones are knocked over. There's like newly opened graves, and the dirt's all strewn over. And then I remember my mother telling me that the cemetery workers were on strike. So this is why it was like this. I go to the mausoleum, I know it well, I used to go in there and make out with girls. I open up the door, I know what's supposed to happen. This weird, soothing, creepy music comes on automatically when you open the door, All it, you know, open 24 seven. Watch out. Um, so I open up the door and there's no music. Where's my creepy, soothing music? I don't know, it smells kinda weird in there. It was very dirty, so that's all made sense to me. I went over to the elevator, got in, hit the B button for the basement, and then the music started. Oh, that's what you have to do, go in the elevator. Have I ever been in the elevator before? I don't know. Thinking all these things, and guess what happens? I got stuck. I did. I got stuck between floors, between the ground floor and the basement floor. Are you kidding me? Stuck in a mausoleum, in between floors, a half a mile away from any living person in the middle of bumfuck Ohio at a time near dark when this woman was probably going to leave for the weekend or something, and I was going to be sick. So I'm worrying about all this. When then the motor starts going again. I'm so happy. Gets down to the basement, opens up, still smelling very strange. I don't want to say death, but I do want to say death. I guess it's death. I don't know. The first thing I see are scissor jacks. You know what scissor jacks are? Used for like a little Camry or something, right, to lift your car. These are giant scissor jacks that they use to lift up caskets in a, a mausoleum so that they can push the, you know, the caskets in the top shelf. Hey, all of this is so bizarre, isn't it? That's all I see is scissor jacks everywhere. Maybe a coffin here, a coffin there. Oh, my God, I got to get out of here. I had written a poem <laughs> for me and her a little sonnet so that her vengeful spirit wouldn't come to get me and so that I could kind of alleviate some of the skills. I went over, right, five rows over, three down. There she is, okay. Blah, blah, blah. I start reading my poem. I'm in the middle of my poem, and all of a sudden, I hear this. Oh, my God. So, do you know what it is? Okay. I poop my pants. I drop the poem. I fly up the stairs, which I have now found, but out of the corner of my eye, I see what is called, yes, it is the avenging spirit of Donna. Uh, no, it's not, even though I talk to ghosts. 
It is an air freshener device <laughs> that was mounted on the wall that had been vandalized during this cemetery strike and was on a timer and was trying to spritz out some fluorescent and it went off and so it was banging against the wall <laughs> trying to do its job. Oh my God, I jumped into my Ford Fusion and I fishtailed the hell out of there. <sighs> my mother died about four months later and she was interred in that cemetery, but you know what? I could not go to that cemetery for years. Thank you. Thank you, Lisa. All right. The Narrators is produced by Robert Rutherford, Mary Robertson, Aaron Rollman, and me, Ron Doyle. Our assistant producer is Sydney Crane. Our theme music is by Whalehawk. And our founder and executive producer is Andrew Orvidal. A very special thanks to our amazing sponsors, Illegal Pete's, Sexy Pizza, From the Hip Photo, and Renegade Brewing Company. If you haven't already, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast app. And join us at one of our live monthly shows, which take place every second Tuesday of the month at Tiger Tiger Tavern in San Diego, California, and every third Wednesday of the month at Bumport Theater in Denver, Colorado. Both shows start at 8 p.m. and are always free to attend. You can find us on Facebook or Twitter, and for past episodes, photos from our live shows, and a list of our upcoming events and themes, please visit thenarrators.org. Thanks for listening. She's got no lessons planned for me Because she's not that fancy She's a professor forever Professor forever Professor